morning we're going to conclude a series on retreating, getting away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life to fill up your soul with God. And as we almost always do, we look specifically to Jesus as the model for what this looks like. In Luke chapter 4, it says that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness led Jesus on a retreat like our kids are doing today. Our junior high and high schoolers, a good crop of them are up there and they are on retreat to get away from the busyness and go seek God for that mountaintop experience. That's a great thing. It's a very important thing because as Jesus models for us, what you fill up with is what you're gonna pour out in your life. If you fill up with junk, junk is what's gonna come out of you this incredible truth we have the option the opportunity the choice to get alone and fill up with God so that God is what pours out of us in power in love in mercy in hope in joy and our life is abundant so we're looking at here what are famously called the, the three temptations of Jesus Jesus is in the wilderness he's alone he's retreating to be with God and the enemy doesn't like it. The enemy comes with temptations that really are core issues for all of humanity to face. The first one we saw was about the issue of satisfaction, the bread of life. Where are you going on a daily basis to fill up? What, is, what are you going to to feed your soul? As Jesus says, it's actually way more than bread. The answer is that in God's presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So if you're trying to fill up and feed on anything other than the source being God, you're going to come away hungry and empty. And that's, that's a temptation though, isn't it? There's lots of things out there that say, hey, this is pleasurable. This is going to satisfy you. This is going to make you happy on a regular basis. That's a battle to say, no, what I need more than anything else is for that soul to get put at rest with God. We also see that Jesus battles through that temptation of what is your mission? Do you know your mission? Do you know that you are uniquely created by God for him to sing a new song through you to the world? Each and every single one of us has a purpose. You have a design a combination of gifts and passions and experience and Holy Spirit filling up and flowing through you in a way where it is meant to be a unique song that no one else sings. And it blesses and changes the world around you. We've got to get to know our mission. And in this last one, this last temptation, probably the most significant, the devil goes after Jesus' identity. Do you know your identity? Do you know where your identity comes from? Here's kind of how you know. Are you living life from a secure identity or are you feeling like you're constantly striving for an identity? Are you living from approval or do you have a desperate need for approval? 
Those are some of the ways we know where is our, uh, is our identity coming from. The devil said it like this to Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 10. It says, he took him up and showed him the, the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. What's at the root of that? Jesus' identity. If you are the son of God. And then the devil quotes scripture, which is a little scary. Because that can be confusing and misleading. He quotes scripture about God protecting someone that he cares about. A God protecting his anointed one. And so the devil's, hey, hey this, this seems to be legit. Jesus, you should be able to do this. If you're the son of God, you should be able to do this. And if you're the son of God, these verses will come true. That's, that's twisted because it sounds maybe right. Jesus in his wisdom says, I, I, <laughs> no, I don't have to prove myself to you. I don't need to put God's identity, what God has said about me to the test. I owe you nothing. I don't have to prove myself. I know what God has already said. What has God already said? The exact thing that the devil calls into question. If you are the son of God, that was a mighty declaration. One chapter earlier in Luke 3, 22, where Jesus gets baptized and God says, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Is it a coincidence that that is the very thing that the devil then calls into question when Jesus is alone? If you're the son of God. It's going to happen to you too. Jesus models for us being able to stand firm in his identity when the attacks come to live from a secure identity and be able to push the enemy back and say, this issue is already settled. So all of this, these questions that maybe even seem legitimate, they're lies. I can push them back because this issue is already settled. God has already said this, and I'm going to stand on it. I'm going to live in it. I'm going to live from it. So get away. To have your identity rooted in being loved and being delighted in will fill up your soul in a way that nothing else can. We looked last week at that verse, you are my beloved son and with you I'm well pleased. There's an even better translation. It's so good. It should be like a, that's a out there. This is tattoo material. <laughs> you are my beloved child. I delight in you. You are my beloved son. I delight in you. That is a very appropriate and accurate translation. So simple. I love how it kind of simplifies it a little bit. What is what does God the Father think of Jesus? You are my beloved son and I delight in you. And not coincidentally, 
the very two things that are the foundation of Jesus' identity, that you're my beloved son and I delight in you, Jesus teaches to his followers about our identity in God. The same two. He wants to pass it on to you, not in the savior of the world divine way, but as in the relationship with God that is so intimate and close, you're a child of God. That's the best human way to relate and understand how God sees you and feels about you. Jesus said it like this in Luke 11, when the disciples say, teach us to pray. Now, as good Jewish boys, they know how to pray. But Jesus is doing something different. So they say, come, would you please teach us to pray like you? And it's just the very first word of the prayer that is the foundation of it all. That's the difference. That's the big difference. Jesus says, Luke 11, 1 and 2. Okay, this is how you pray. Start with this, Father. So there it is. Now, Jesus is saying your identity is meant to foundationally be. When you come to God in prayer, there's no, there's no more of a vulnerable, intimate way than actually talking to God, bearing your soul in prayer. And Jesus says the whole way you're supposed to start that is as a beloved child. And then the second aspect about delight, this is a good one. Somehow we've missed this a lot in church. I missed this for a long time. We don't hear this enough. Remember God said to Jesus, you are my beloved son and I delight in you. That exact same word, eudokeo, delight, is used only one other time. In all of Luke, right here in 1232, where Jesus now is again teaching his disciples about their identity in God. And they're, excuse me, stop it. They're freaked out. They're anxious about life like all of us get. That's the whole Luke chapter 12. You can read it. They're wondering, are we going to be taken care of? Kind of like the most simple stress that we all face. Provision. Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be taken care of? They're worried about food and clothes and tomorrow. They're anxious about life. And Jesus is trying to comfort them. What does he comfort them with? Who they are, their identity in God's eyes. Luke 12, 32, fear not. You don't have to worry because it is your father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. Translate a little different, very appropriate. Don't worry, you don't have to be anxious about life. It is your father, reinforces beloved child of God. It is, it is your father's good pleasure, or you could translate it very appropriately. Your father delights to give you everything he's got. Same exact word. That God the Father spoke over Jesus, Jesus is speaking over you, saying, this is your identity. This is why you don't need to be anxious about everything in life, because of who you are in God's eyes. Not only are you a beloved child, but his character is such that he delights 
to give you everything in his house. <laughs> that is some good news. If we can found our life upon these things, if these things can be the identity from which we live, the striving can cease. The craving of approval can cease. The anxiety can cease. When you know who you are in God. So today I just want to take us a little bit further in Luke mostly into these glorious truths about our identity in God that Jesus bestows upon us. But what it comes down to is these are the things that we need to learn how to fight for. It's not a one and done. It's not. I mean, if you can have a radical experience with your identity in Christ, and I hope you do, and it's life transforming, but the devil's not going to go easy. Luke 4.14 says that he, he left, he got defeated, and he waited for an opportune time to come knocking again. So if even Jesus is going to have to keep battling these things, so are you. So am I. So this is where we got to get good at fighting for the spiritual truth of who we are and who God is. So let's take it a little deeper here. On being a beloved child. Jesus said it like this. Very simply in John 15, 9, it's one of those verses that it's betrayingly simple. But if, man, this is why meditating on the Bible, chewing on it, soaking in it is so important because there is such a rich depth to when Jesus says in John 15, He's about to leave the earth. This is the Last Supper. And he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So Jesus paints this picture of, it's, it's shocking. He's he, the same type of love that the Father has for him, he has for us see this 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 just progression here i mean it's, it's wild all these ways that jesus is modeling this intimate love that he has with the father jesus is saying it's for you to step into that and say that's how god feels about me and how do i know it's legal because he's saying this is how i love you he's saying everything you see in me of how i'm being loved by god that's how much I love you. It's the same thing. It's crazy. When Jesus spoke to the Father, sometimes he used the word Abba, which is maybe one of the most important two or three words. If you're talking about one word and your identity, this kind of seals it. To know this, to encounter this, to live from this. Abba is the Aramaic word for daddy or something like that. The scholars say it would be like the first word that a little child, when learning to speak, would say. So in our English translation, if that's your language, 
daddy or, or papa. Just It's that idea of this vulnerable place of a child. And they're one, maybe one and a half, two, six months old. Just that, that vulnerable age when they are so full of wonder and hope and, and in this very intimate childlike language where they trust in their parents and trust that their parents are good and that they want good for them. And there's these natural God-given things in children where they have so much hope, they have wonder, and they come to their parents and just so easily flows out of them these, these, this intimate type, loving, affectionate, tender, Papa, Daddy. And in an absolutely shocking reality, Jesus uses that kid's word on purpose and addresses his heavenly father with that. I mean, you gotta think about, this is, this is so different than the norm. To have a, a rabbi, a grown man rabbi, who's leading others because of his wisdom and his strength. And they catch him, they hear him praying, they hear him talking to God. And the opening line is as this little child, tender, vulnerable, hopeful, safe, secure, in the loving arms of a perfect Abba. I mean, that is just so wildly upside down from all the expectations of strength and wisdom and manhood. And Jesus is owning this and saying, as the Father loved me, so I love you. He's giving us permission to take on that same type of childlike hope and wonder and vulnerability and tenderness and intimacy with God. It's crazy. Romans 8 actually says it specifically. That is one of the privileges of believing in Jesus and trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and have the Holy Spirit making you that new creation. Here's one of the privileges. Romans 8.15 says this. You have received the Spirit of adoption as children by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. Man, there is our privilege and right to grab hold of our identity as beloved children of God that as the Father loves Jesus, so Jesus loves us. He adopts us into him in a way we now as legitimate children get to talk to God the same way that Jesus did. Unbelievably good. And Jesus' word in this is so simply, abide in my love. That word means to continue, to remain, to live, to dwell. 
So when you put it all together, this is, again, Jesus reinforcing, this is what you live from. This is the source of where it all starts. If it's anything else, it's not going to work. As the Father loves me, so I love you. Live from that place. The strongest force in the universe, God's love, is directed at you, and your job is simply to bask in it and live from it. It's a receiving posture. Be loved, beloved. Beloved. Never even saw that. That's a command. Be loved. That's your job. You're longing for approval. Should you strive? No. You should just be loved. That works. This is where, in those times of retreat, our worth, our value, our approval, that gets settled. It does get settled in kind of a once for all, but then it's going to get attacked. The way that's this is why we regularly have to get alone with God and be loved. Let Him make this more real to you. I mean, in a lot of the songs we're singing, that's the point of them is to be loved. Let yourself be loved by God. Let him make this real to you so that you're living from this place. And the more this becomes real, the more God's Holy Spirit makes it real, the more you can live from this secure identity that God wants for you. Let's go to a little verse now on God delighting in you. Back to Luke 15, 1 to 7. So the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. They're getting the message about just being loved. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the ones who are essentially self-righteous and think they've got it all together because they've done enough good stuff, they don't like this message of just be loved. So they say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 self-righteous people who need no repentance. I added the self, but that's what Jesus means. So how does God feel about you? That is a subconscious question that we wake up with every day. 
whether we know it or not. And it's because God created us to have our identity in him. So we have that question. And sometimes it leads us to desperate measures for craving and longing and striving and seeking approval from everyone but God. How does God feel about you? Well, here's a good place to start. Luke 15. Let's say you're that sheep that runs away because you're just kind of dumb and, you know, you, you don't want God. This is for the person next to you, not you. We've all done it. We've all gone astray. Romans 3. All of us on our own strength have gone astray. Somehow we, we, we've sought things except God. So we've all ran away. And what is God's posture? Well, fine, you piece of junk. You deserve it. Well, the self-righteous Pharisees might say that, but Jesus tells a different story. In fact, he tells three stories in a row in Luke chapter 15 about these lost things, these things that have gone astray. There's a sheep that's just kind of dumb. There's a coin that somehow just falls out of the bag. And then there's the prodigal son who intentionally spites the father in the face and says, I don't love you, but I want your money, and I'm going to go blow it on bad stuff. And Jesus tells those three stories in a row with the same exact message. What is God's posture? How does God feel about you? There is a phrase in here that should change our life. Jesus says, which one of you having a hundred sheep, if you've lost one, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost? How does God feel about you? If you're lost, he goes after you. <laughs> I mean, that's, come on. That's the second tattoo of the morning. Goes after. If my wife would only let me have tattoos, I would have cool stuff all over the place. I'd be a walking Bible, babe. This is vivid imagery on purpose. It's supposed to elicit a, an emotional reaction. God goes after you. And it is consistent in all three stories in Luke 15, which are on purpose. There's three in a row because Jesus wants you to get the message. Luke wants you to say, well, maybe that was a one-off. Maybe that's not the point of the story. Maybe Jesus going after him is kind of a, a side note. Well, it culminates with the prodigal son in which this guy who has messed up in every possible way, just not even with a good heart, is like, oh, you know what? The slaves in my father's house eat better than the pigs I'm eating here, so, or the pig slop, so maybe I'll just go be a slave. That's not a whole lot of great repentance, but it's good enough to get the father seeing him from far running after him. Do you know how wildly inappropriate it is for a father in that day and age, the king of the house, to run after a wayward child who has disowned him and dishonored him? And God says, I don't care. I'm going after him. I mean, that's just got to become real. That's how God feels about you. And it gets even better. It says when he finds you in the prodigal son and this, this lost sheep, it's the parallel stuff. So for the lost sheep, what does it say? 
when he brings him, he finds him, he goes after him, he finds him, puts him on his shoulder, and what's the word? Rejoicing. It makes God happy to find you. It brings God joy to find you and put you on your sh his shoulders and take you home to where you belong. And then what does he do? He tells his friends about you, it says. Rejoicing, he tells his friends about you and he gathers them together. That is biblical language for a party. How do we know? Well, it's parallel, it's all over the place, but it's paralleled again in the prodigal son. He calls for a party. In this language, it says he comes home, calls together his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me. That's a party. For I have found my sheep that was lost. All of that is delight. God delights in you. He will chase after you. He will rejoice over you. He will tell his friends about you. He will call for a party so they can all rejoice together about you. That is God delighting in you. Jesus tells these stories on purpose. They're meant to be the foundation of our identity. They're meant to help us encounter this whole new world that is the coming kingdom of God that is so wildly beyond our imagination of how good God actually is. But they're supposed to be encountered and become who we are and we're supposed to be able to now live from this place beloved child i delight in you meant to be life is meant to be at sometimes incredibly simple one of those times is your identity you wake up in the morning how does god feel where is my worth where's my value where are, where's my approval coming from i have to strive today again all everyone else's opinions that one is not supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be a freely received gift through Christ where you take that on and now it's simply, good morning, beloved child. I delight in you again today. I want to take us to a, one other spot here in Luke where Jesus makes clear that there is a distinction between your mission and your identity. And that your mission is not supposed to be where your identity comes from. Let's see it here in Luke 10. So Jesus has just sent out 72 of his disciples. He sent them on a mission. It's a good mission. He says, go preach the gospel. Heal the sick, cleanse the, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, raise the dead. Tell them about this coming kingdom of God. That's a good mission. And in chapter 17, they return. So here, let's pick it up. I'm Excuse me, chapter 10, verse 17. It says, the 72 returned with joy. 
saying, so they returned with joy from their mission. That's good. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Because behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. So mission went well. Verse 20, though. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Interesting kind of almost awkward moment there. <laughs> little little buzzkill, Jesus. Like, hey, you sent us out on this mission. And uh, now we're in trouble. The mission is extremely important. Jesus himself sent them on the mission. But when they come home, rejoicing in the success of the mission, Jesus sees it as a teachable moment and tells them, don't rejoice in the success of the mission, but in your identity. Your names belong to God. That's what you should rejoice in. That is way more important than the success of your mission. Why? why? I mean, why would you? Come on, Jesus. You told us to go on this. We did good. We followed you. We were obedient. Cool stuff happened. We, 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 you don't want us to rejoice in this? Many people, to the demise of the soul, strive to earn their identity from the success of the mission. In other words, we try to define ourselves by what we do. And Jesus is giving this teachable moment just to say, hold on, that doesn't work. Jesus knows the, the mortal danger of that mindset because if, let's say if, if you're successful in your mission and you define, therefore, your identity in that success, you can potentially miss what you're created for, which is even more important than that, which is to learn how to live from and dwell in being a beloved child of God who is delighted in for free. Or... On the other hand, if you are not successful in your mission, whatever that may be, what you put yourself to do, if you're not successful, now you're a loser. If that's your identity, you're a failure. That once again puts you in mortal danger of missing the point of life with God which is you are not meant to define your value by what you do. You are created to live from a place of victory 
that you have already won in the most important way possible because of what Jesus has done and you receive him as your Lord and Savior and now you are a beloved child who God delights in. That's victory. That's the most important way to define yourself. It's the most important place to get your identity from. Your name is written on his hands, in his house. You belong to him. He delights to give you everything he has. That's where it needs to come from. And so that mortal danger, the temptation, and this is why we've got to get alone with God and make sure these things are in order. The temptation is that there's this constant stress of both successes and failures and living with this deep sense of trying to prove yourself, prove myself, get enough good opinions and likes to where, oh, my identity finally feels good. And it never works because it's not designed to work. It can't work. It can temporarily feel good, but it cannot fill the soul like a freely received identity of being loved and delighted in. And that's why Jesus has this awkward interaction. You know, he tells them to do something, and they do a good job, and then he redirects their attention to say, yeah, but don't get too excited about that. There's something even more important, more foundational. You've got to learn how to abide, to dwell, to bask in what's already been given you. Once you're secure in that, then you can have a healthy measure of enjoying when things go well on your mission. But it's not your source of identity. And we just have to know that there is going to be massive opposition to this. If this is as important as I'm saying it is, and then I believe the word of God is saying it is, if it is actually this important, you are going to face massive opposition. And you've got to be ready for it. That's why we've got to get alone and regularly, God help me, experience this for the first time and experience it again and again in order to make sure I'm living from a secure identity and not striving every day to earn an identity. That's what the enemy was going after. If you are the son of God. Now we can look at that like, that's a stupid question. That's a, that's a stupid temptation. Of course he knows that. God just hold it to him. The devil is no fool. He knows where it's important to, to strike. And I know all of us in here have felt that. If, that, that's, that stupid little word, if, if you are the son of God. If you're a child of God, how, 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 did, how could this happen to you? If you're so beloved of God, why are these things that are so tough taking place in your life? 
If God delights in you so much, how come it didn't feel like he came through over here? If you're so beloved, why does it still feel oh, empty at times? Those and in many other ways, the enemy's going to come knocking. Because this is so utterly crucial. So what do you do? Logic is, is not going to be the answer. There is lots of good logic to talk yourself out of those and, and being able to know the truth and preach it is important. That's why we're doing what we're doing today so that we know the truth. But logic alone, you're not going to reason yourself out of this. This is where dependence on God's spirit is a must. You have got to encounter this. You've got to encounter this. There are many good answers out there, but just knowing the answers is not good enough. You need to encounter the Heavenly Father rejoicing over you in your own way. You need to know that the Spirit is chasing after you. You need to somehow taste and see the warmth of His love. You need to be able to own that he delights in me so much that, you know what, he, he likes to tell his friends about me and throw a party for me. I, I'm kind of his favorite. You're not, but it's okay to feel that way. You need to hear his voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved daughter, my beloved son, and wow, do I delight in you. need to encounter him saying, hey, I know you're anxious about life, but you know what? You don't have to be afraid because I delight to give you everything I've got, everything that's in my house. It belongs to you because you belong in my house. Look, you're, you're written on my hands. Now, those are all truths right out of God's word. Truths that we need to encounter. That when we do, it changes everything. And so I believe some of you are encountering those truths right now, which is awesome. I believe the Holy Spirit's at work. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to continue to be at work. But it doesn't stop today. This is why Jesus models get alone on retreat. These are the kind of things that you go after, that you battle that you read God's word, that you listen to good messages, that you put worship songs on, that you journal, that you pray, that you talk to God. Some of you have got major roadblocks that are just in there because of bad stuff's happening that's happened to you. It's not even your fault, but to conceive of a God who just beloves you and delights in you, and all you have to do is be loved, and you don't have to strive for it or earn it. That is so foreign. It, it just doesn't seem real. And that's okay. That's not your fault. You're alive today, and that's good news. God's not done. And so I believe with every part of my being that God wants to make that real to you. And that's where sometimes we need help from brothers and sisters. We need to be real about our stuff. 
We need to share it. We need to confess it. We need to ask for prayer. I 100% know this is paramount on God's will for your life. And that comes back to us of, okay, so let's, let's fight for it. Let's partner with God. Yes, it's just about being loved, but then there, there's, there's things on our parts. I want to know this. What, what's in my life that's holding me back from this? Why won't I even try in this area? Why don't I believe this? Why does this seem so far away? And God will graciously but mightily be with you to unpack the, the layers, if you will, and make this more and more real. And I can't predict what God's going to do. It might just be some radical experience, or it might just be the, the process of over 10, 15, 20 years in relationship. It gets more real and more sweet. My guess is it, can be, it will be both. I want to close our time. If uh, the band could come up. I just want to give us a moment here to re re respond, to ponder. What is God wanting to say to you right now? I do believe that the Holy Spirit loves to be here and move in our midst and make these things real. And so I just want to give an opportunity for you right now in, in a way that's just real between you and God and no one else, just to take a minute before we go about the busy day and just respond to God. And there's this beautiful song, Abba, just sings of the good news of how in Christ we have the right and the privilege to come to God with Abba. So let me pray and, and just I want to encourage us to spend a minute here soaking, soaking in these beautiful truths that are God's heart for each and every one of us. God, we praise you this morning. We thank you that this is who you are. There is no better news in the universe. We worship you, God. We love you. We give you thanks. And I pray a blessing right now on this church family, Lord. That each and every person right now, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move and stir up and speak to us and reveal yourself in greater measure this is what we need more than anything else God to learn to live from this place of being beloved and delighted in I pray that you help our hearts rest right now and just receive the truth Lord I pray that you would break down walls break down hurts, break down lies of the enemy where we've been hurt to the point where this, this truth of who you are, God, just doesn't seem like it could be real. I pray in Jesus' name that strongholds of the enemy be broken right now. Lies of the enemy be broken right now. Lies that we've been believing about ourself or God, I break those in the name of Jesus. May we see more clearly today, God. May we hear more clearly today. May we see your face with a smile of delight. 
may by your Holy Spirit we feel it in a healthy way and learn to live from it. I ask this, Lord, because I know you want your beloved kids alive in you. So be honored and glorified, God, as our source of identity. I will sing a new song. I will sing a new song. I will dance a new dance like David.